the Sunday Sermons Podcast. For the past several weeks, uh, we've been exploring some really deep and pervasive themes that thread throughout the entire scriptures, blood, water, and spirit, specifically spirit in the sense of the spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, his very presence in a tangible way on earth and in us. Sound familiar? Hopefully. All right. If you're, it's your first day here, you missed some of these, we're going to build on this foundation, go on. But today we start the second half and we're going to, so what do we do about it? Where we left off last week was we are now the living, breathing, walking around holy places of God. We are the tabernacles. We looked at the scripture where Paul actually just straight up tells us that. We are now where people encounter the presence of God. The only question is if we're doing a good job or not. So how do we do a better job? How how do we make sure that we're playing the role we've been given? So it all begins here as, as all things that have to do with God or the Bible, whatever. It all centers on Jesus Christ. There's nowhere clearer anywhere in the scripture or in life uh, of the blood and the water imagery, the very presence of God himself than Jesus, his cross, the empty tomb, everything else about Jesus. In fact, John, the apostle, begins his gospel, the story, his story about Jesus like this. In the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I I love this imagery. It's just a fact. It's science, but it means so much to me. I say it often. So if you're tired of it, I apologize, but I'm going to say it one more time. You can't shine darkness into a lighted room. You can shine light into a dark room. Does that make sense? Darkness is just the absence of light. Light is more powerful because that's the real thing. Darkness is just where it's not. And the tabernacle, all that symbolism, all of the, the, the bloody, gross altar that was the blood and the, the basin that only the priests, only those who truly interacted with God had to go through, but they, they had to dip themselves in, in this basin. And, and then the, all of the stuff inside of the tent, the holy place, the holy of holies, all of that that represented the provision and the presence of God. In all of that, there's also this sense of direction. It wasn't just there so that they don't die. The tabernacle was what they camped all around. I showed you a picture a couple weeks ago. It actually almost looked like a cross. I find meaning in that too. That just trips me out. That's pretty neat. From the air, it would have looked like a cross. But the point was, it's right in the center of the camp. And whenever they moved, that would switch slightly. So it was at the beginning. The presence of God was taking them somewhere. They were the people of God. They were on their way to Canaan. And no matter how badly they messed up and how, how many times they got punished or whatever else happened along the way, the, the idea of God being present among them was because they were his people and he was taking them somewhere. They were trying to accomplish something. There was intention in there. 
And if you look at Jesus himself, the language that he used, it, this is so, even clearer when he talked because he said things like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Have you heard this before? Notice he doesn't say, I am the destination. I'm the way. There's, there's movement implied here. Uh, I am the truth. I am the life. Uh, this, is, this is how you live. Some more from Jesus himself, Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and w- the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, by it, I'm sorry, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, Jesus actually told us several things about the afterlife. He told us about heaven and it's wonderful. He told us he went to prepare a place for us and he's coming back. We find so much great hope in that. We've been singing about it. But I gotta be honest with you, that's not what he's talking about here. When he says the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, that's not eternal life. That's life, life. He's talking about here. He's talking about right now when he's talking right there. When he was talking to Nicodemus, it was the same thing. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's talking about it in the sense of born again, as in you start over and then you live. Last week we talked about one of the images we talked about was the idea of a conductor and the whole orchestra. By the way, if you're, how many have ever been to an orchestra performance? You've, you've gone to see a symphony. Okay. It's wonderful and beautiful and majestic and cool, except for the part where they're all tuning up at the beginning. That's one of the worst noises I've ever heard ever. Just that. Oh man. I just, I, I, I almost want to just be intentionally late. Because what in the world? But then they finally get focused and they're all on track. But I guarantee you, no matter how good they are, how great they are at their thing, they have to have focus. They have to have somebody directing them. And in the practice, if you've ever been part of that in any way, or maybe in sports or maybe in a play, I don't know how you've had somebody directing you, but there's always moments where you almost get it and then they go, wait, nope, nope. Let's do this again from the top. And this time, everybody's really paying attention. They're also watching the conductor better. They're listening to each other. They're intentionally working with each other better. And when all of that's happening at once, that's when the beautiful music happens. Does this make sense? And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't get there on your own. You can't get there. You can't stay within God's moral boundaries on your own. Nobody can. You can't do it without each other and everybody going that same direction. You can't do that without his plans, without his direction in an ongoing daily way. You can't do it unless all of that is happening at once. But you know what? If it is happening at once, you can. And every day Jesus gives us a chance to say, no, 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 from the top. Again, ultimately that first time we're born again, that's the biggest one, but he, he, he's, it's an ongoing journey. We can't miss that. Jesus helps us really live. 
Would you say that out loud with me? And if you're starting to write, if you're write, writing down these ideas, saying this is one of the blanks, you can fill in the word live. But let's all say this together. Jesus helps us really live. Again, without him, we just naturally miss everything that he had in mind. Without him, we, we just don't even aim at the target, let alone hit it. Without him, we misunderstand his rules. If he says, this is right or this is wrong, our first question is, why? Right? Hello, fellow human beings. That, that's not you. You're not this weird, random rebel in a sea of people who naturally get it. <laughs> we all struggle against that. God says, I, I really don't like this. And we go, how dare you? As opposed to, oh, you're the one who made us. Maybe you might know something. That's natural without Jesus. That's why we have to start again from the top. We naturally distort his perfect designs. We naturally do all that. But Jesus comes to restore us. Jesus comes to fix us. Jesus comes to, to make us have the chance to do it better in the second part of our lives. He gives us a chance to have a brand new once upon a time. Well, the image we've been looking at over and over, and I, I'm just racing through these and we're getting to the practical stuff. But one more time, the guardrails idea. We tend to think of all of his rules having to do with fences and, and walls and they keep us in and they keep us from going outside. And really, they're just trying to keep us focused on a way that he's given us. They're trying to help us get somewhere. They're trying to keep us from getting distracted or taking exits that are just going to ruin it all and instead get where we need to be. This idea of the way has been all the way through the scriptures and it's never clearer than Jesus himself. In fact, if you look through the book of Acts, that's what they called Christianity when it was first started was the way. All the way back in Genesis, when God decided to start over with the flood, it says, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. They were so far off script, they weren't even looking at the music anymore. They, they'd forgotten there was a conductor. They weren't listening to each other. They were hitting each other with the instruments. They had ro- torn up all the music scripts and rolled doobies out of it you know what i'm saying like they were just like so far out of it that he had to start over from the top sorry may may not allow to say doobies is that not even they probably don't even say that anymore (laughs) but you understand what i'm trying to say though right They were so far off script. They had lost their way. There was a way that was there and they were missing it completely. In Proverbs, one of the writers asked this, how, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. That's a rhetorical question. The answer is not you, not me, none of us. Except, except, Those of us who come through Jesus, we can have our hearts made clean from sin by Jesus. Because the idea of purity, especially throughout the scriptures, is not just about not being dirty. It's about being 100%. If you ever see 100% pure something, like juice is a popular one, about some 100% pure, what was it, tart cherry juice, I think, the other day. And, and, and here's what that told me. There's not a lot of 
gross, nasty stuff in here, unless you think that tart cherry juice is gross and nasty. But what it also was mostly telling me is that's all that's in here. It's 100%. Pure, pure means the whole thing is what it says it is. And that's really... That's really the underlying idea of purity in the scriptures. And the only way we can be remade from scratch that way is through Jesus. But again, you see it in all throughout the scriptures. You see it in the Old Testament, the same concept. In Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. When I was a kid, I, I memorized that song and I'm thankful I did, but it didn't really, I, I didn't really get it at all because I, I really heard it just with really shallow English words and just trying to memorize it. And what it sounded like to me is that whoever this guy is had memorized the Ten Commandments and just really liked it somehow. Somehow he just, every single day, all day long, he's going, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and don't do this and don't do that. Man, I love that. Let's do it again. Love the Lord your God. Do you think that's what it means? What he's getting is that the laws of God is this way that he's giving us. He gets the love and the intention behind the the boundaries. He gets that they're keeping us going somewhere. Ever gone bowling and they've got those like long pipes that you you lay in the gutter so you can't go in the gutter? God's guardrails are kind of like that. A lot of them are about right and wrong and things that God really loves and really hates. And a lot of them are just, they're just trying to keep us in the middle. There's so much love. Proverbs 3, same idea, still in the Old Testament, still pointing to Jesus, still pointing to what Jesus wants from us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, you want to really experience life? Do this. Here's one of the most amazing ideas is that you see throughout scripture, especially after Jesus shows up, you see it pointed to the whole time, but then Jesus himself changes everything. And that's this, Jesus makes holiness more contagious than sin. If we do it right, if we get it right, if we really do it his way, if we get it the way he presents it, if we understand the love and we enjoy it and we meditate on it day and night, we actually live it out and all these things that we've been exploring, if we really get it, we take advantage of the power of his blood and the renewal and the cleansing that he offers us and how pervasive and complete that can be. And we take full advantage of his spirit actually living inside of us and us now becoming the full blown, living, breathing tabernacles of of God on this planet. If we really get all of that, then suddenly the, the script flips. 
Instead of us playing defense, we're playing offense. And not in a sense of being offensive or, or fighting people or being overly aggressive, but instead of just going, I, I just hope I don't sin too much. Please, God, help me not sin too much. We're spreading holiness on purpose. It's a big difference. Now, even people who don't like sports that much often like sports movies. There's something that we get about somebody fighting for something they believe in and working really hard and getting it. But have you ever noticed there's, there's movies about great coaches, there's movies about great athletes, there's no movies about the parents screaming and yelling at them on the sideline. They're always the villain, right? Because th- th- that doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't actually change the game. It doesn't do anything except make everybody miserable, especially their kids that they're trying to stick up for. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not offending people, but I'm just telling you the truth this morning. It, th- it doesn't do any good. It just does harm. So nobody cares about it. Nobody wants a movie about that. I want to be like that parent. Listen what he told that, jo- that coach. What in the world? Let him have it, baby. That's how it's done. Nobody really, that's not inspiring. And it doesn't actually change anything. But when an athlete says, I'm going to win this thing, and they train, and like Rocky, you know what I'm saying? We're like, hey, I don't even like boxing, but I want to be that guy. And when you see a great movie about a coach, and, and they're like, come on, one more lap. or You know what I'm talking about? We, there's something that calls to us in that because, yeah. I want to be like that. I want my life to matter. I want to do something that really matters. I want to do something with all my heart and with all my soul. And here's the truth. God made all of us to crave the stuff that Jesus is offering. His original perfect design, his original image in us was designed for us to get this stuff and crave this stuff and want this stuff. And the reason we like the other stuff is because it's counterfeiting the real thing. It somehow reminds our souls and our bodies and our minds of the real things of God. But all of the counterfeits just obscure the cure that God has for us. He created us to crave what Jesus offers. And here's the amazing thing we see with Jesus is he, oh, he's more powerful than any contamination. Again, really quickly, the, the words that we translate into sin... In the, in the Old and New Testament, both are archery terms. Kata in the Old Testament, Hebrew, hamartia in Greek, and in the New Testament, they both mean missing the mark. It's not about doing something intentionally just gross and evil just for the sake of doing it. It's you're, that's what you're supposed to hit and you're here. Excuse me, or maybe you're here. Maybe we're way off, but that's the idea. But even in the Old Testament before Jesus, God was saying stuff like this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. In other words, they're your sin is just as obvious as it could be. They're just bright and shiny and like bloodstains on a white shirt. Like you can't miss it. You can't, you can't miss how badly you've missed. Look at the target. Look at the holes. Look at some, there's not even holes. For some of the shots you took, that's pretty obvious. But they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
I love the Bible Project. I don't know if you guys watch those videos or not. Very, very, makes a lot of stuff really simple and memorable. They have it about holiness and actually several of these ideas we're walking through today that, that talks about, they use the image of the sun and how all of our energy and heat and, and a lot of other things, goodness, light comes from the sun, but the closer you get to the sun, it actually starts to become dangerous. If you try to fly into the sun or land on the sun, you're dead. And, and that's, in the Old Testament, that, that, that kind of part of the holiness concept was most of what they got. And they literally could die if they just waltzed into the presence of God in the tabernacle. They could be just killed for that. It, but all of that was a symbol. All of that was symbolic. But man, what a beautiful symbol when Jesus shows up. God shows up in a human form and he changes everything. And instead of just not touching unclean things or unclean people, ceremonially unable to go to the temple people, Jesus does touch them and they become clean. I love this story in Mark 2. I'm pretty sure most of you heard it. We're going to read it straight out of the scripture this morning. Mark 2. And when he, that's Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. By the way, that's his hometown, or not even where he grew up, but that was the place he was living at the time. He didn't have his own house. We know that from other scripture. But they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love this story. There's so many layers in this. Uh, so much beauty about how passionate they were to bring their friend to Jesus. There's just goodness. But let's keep going. We, we got something specific to look into this morning. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he was hoping for. But Jesus, I hope this catches with you. Jesus is always playing chess, not checkers. Jesus is always several moves ahead of everybody around him. He's not even trying to make sense. He's just doing what he knows, doing what's best, period. And this is one of those situations. He knows they want him healed. He knows he's going to, but he's doing a bunch of other stuff all at the same time. Son, your sins are forgiven, says Jesus. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus just, he knows what they're thinking. He doesn't even need to hear it. And he just straight up challenges them on it. And then he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Maybe, just maybe, that outlandish stuff about him saying he could even forgive sins might be true. Because nobody else here can do what he just did right there. Again, chess, not checkers. Well, you'd imagine that guy's life from that point on. Here's what I guarantee he didn't do. I guarantee he didn't go home and go, look, 
I can walk around. Look at me. This is so great. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lay back down on my mat because I can. And just enjoy the fact that I can lay there and wiggle my toes and wiggle my fingers. I'm going to just lay there and enjoy the fact that if I wanted to, I could get up now. You think that would happen? No, you know that guy is running and jumping and hugging people and high-fiving people and climbing trees and going swimming. You know what I'm saying? He is living life. Jesus didn't heal him just so he could not be paralyzed. He gave him a life. He got a whole new once upon a time. He got a whole new chance. Everything was different from that point on. You know that's true. You don't even need it to spell it out in the scriptures. And again, that's the beauty that God is laying before us when he says, I'm not just forgiving you your sins. I'm not just making you new. I'm not just putting my presence, my very Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm taking you with me in a whole new way. I'm going to use you to change the world. This holiness that I've, you could never have gotten on your own is going to flow out of you and change things. Last week we read this, 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, with whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Several verses earlier, it said this. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? I told you last time we'd read those two verses. I was going to skip the middle because it was important. We're going to go ahead and hit what was in the middle now. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. In other words, even when we take something that God created for good and use it for evil, whatever's left that's actually good in that experience is actually part of the original design, not part of the sin. Did you hear me? I'm gonna say that one more time because this is something we've got to get in our souls. The, The pleasure of sin is not in the sin itself. It's not in us breaking the rules of God. It's that this stuff is... Still good. If somebody, for example, is really good at music and they become a huge rock star or something like that. It's not a sin. It's the the pleasure of the music and all the people jumping and singing a song you wrote. That's that's not evil in itself. what, what, What makes it evil is some other stuff. But music and sound and everybody being on the same page at the same time, that's all stuff God created. Does that make sense? And if we're singing a really nasty song, but we're just enjoying being all in the same group, what we're really enjoying is music that God created. What we're really enjoying is all of us being on the same page, which is something God designed. What we're really enjoying is all of that. Does that make sense? The pleasure, the goodness in life, even in the places where we get it completely wrong, is is traces of the image of God in us and traces of the original perfect designs that he created for us. So there's, that's one of the reasons it's so wrong to have sex outside of marriage because it feels good. 
And it distorts us. It distorts us. It just leads us way, way, way off the script. And then we miss the other stuff. Because there's a lot more to marriage than just that. Well, keep going. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against their own body. And this is the spot where he says what we just read. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you. Your point of being on this planet now is to be how people interact with God. You're supposed to be spreading holiness. It's not about just trying not to sin. You're supposed to be spreading the holiness around. And if you're wasting your time with all the counterfeits, you're missing. You're the only people that have the cure. You're the only people with the prototype. You're the only ones that, ha- that you're, you're the ones God is expecting you to change stuff. The, 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 one of the words that's used in this thing is, is a Greek word called porneia, and it literally means anything but the original design. Any version of sexuality, any version in or out of marriage, any flavor, any, anything at all about it, except the original design is covered by this one word. And that's what he's saying to flee from. Because the original is so important. Right? Those of you that are married, you know that being married is not just about not committing adultery. If you have a really good marriage, you're faithful to each other, but your your marriage, the joy in your marriage is just not, "Ah, one more day and I didn't commit adultery. You don't have time for adultery because you've got all your energy and passion and love and everything is everything else about that relationship and what you're doing together. Are you with me? You don't have time to get distracted. You, you don't even give yourself a possibility to get distracted because the other stuff's more important. It's a completely different perspective that Jesus gives us. One more way that he explained this, and this is the one we're gonna wrap up with today. We're not 100% done, but we're getting there. So are, are you still with me? Nobody's asleep. Don't look like anybody's asleep. Hallelujah, here we go. Here's what Jesus does. He makes us like streams of living water. And when he uses that phrase in the New Testament, he's quoting several parts in the Old Testament. I'd like to share some of that with you today. But that's something Jesus talked about a lot, actually, because he he wanted us to see this idea that God's love flows through us and gives life to everyone. We are like streams of living water, life-giving streams of living water that flow out. That's what he offered to the woman at the well, if you remember, in Samaria. And he said, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. In other words, it's just going to keep going and going and going and going. And eventually, it's even going to do that for eternity. John 7, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, he's quoting several places in the Old Testament. Use this image. Here's, here's a couple. One's in Zechariah, one's in Ezekiel. In Zechariah, it says, on that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem. 
That's where the church began. That's where the spirit first showed up in the tangible way that he's available today. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the Eastern Sea, half of them to the Western Sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Again, it's just gonna keep going. Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, this is a vision, by the way. It's not literal. It's a, it's a vision that he's having. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And then he just keeps going and it's going north and it's going west and it's going up and down. It's just like, he just keeps going. This water's going everywhere. And he said to me, this angel that's in this vision, son of man, have you seen this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river and I went, as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river, very many trees on the one side and the other. Does that image sound familiar to anybody? Bank by the side of living water, Psalm 1, just a couple minutes ago. He saw very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows through the eastern region region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. Anybody know what sea that is? The Dead Sea. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish for this water goes there and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. Why? Because there's fish there again. There's a point in doing it now because things have changed. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This river of life, It's only possible through the blood, water, the spirit. It's only possible through Jesus and God empowering us. But it's us. Do you see this? We're supposed to be flowing out into the world. We're supposed to be changing things. And just like when Jesus touched a leper, instead of having to go through all kinds of rigmarole and bathing and ceremonies to be clean again, the leper becomes clean. The leper takes a bath and they get to rejoin their life. Everything changes when Jesus touches it. That's what he's calling us into. We walk into situations together with our heads held high and change it from the inside out. We walk into relationships that are broken and dysfunctional and we bring the love of Jesus into it. Does this make sense? I don't know about you, but this gets me excited. Is this worth living for? So I'd like you to try this morning here at the end. I'd like you to choose two very specific things. They're gonna be a little bit different to each one of you. So I'm gonna say a quick prayer and then challenge you to do it. Let me explain it, then I'll pray and let you write. As you write, we're gonna ask the band to come up in that moment of silence. That's when the band will come up and get ready to lead us in a song. But I'd like you to figure out something that you're gonna stop 
and something you're going to start in light of what we're talking about today. Because if you're hearing this today and you go, man, now I get it why that thing that I'm doing that feels so great is so wrong and I really should stop it. I don't have time and energy and money enough for that thing anymore. I want to invest it in the things of God instead. You need to write something down about that. And if that's you, that's not you. You is the only weird, sad, pitiful Christian that's ever had that problem. That's all of us, brothers and sisters. There's got to be something in every one of our lives that each one of us, me and all of you, need to stop. Just stop it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of everything else Jesus has asked us to do, and it's keeping us from the right thing. And there's got to be at least one thing that the Holy Spirit has been stirring your heart long before today, but maybe this morning, even while I'm talking, maybe you're tuning me out because the Holy Spirit's telling you something. You really need to do this. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You need to write that down. Father, once again, please show each one of us something tangible that we can do. Something that we can stop that's just going to open up so many doors that we can't imagine so that we can see and be part of your vision more. Father, I pray that you'll show each one of us something we can start that's going to be so meaningful we can't even imagine because it's what you created us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys could just give them a second and then start when the Spirit leads you. As always... When we stand and sing, if you need to make a public statement, you go to the front or the back. If you need to make it private, that's okay too. But let's all take a step in the direction of Jesus. Write something down. Write it down right now.